You are listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership to inspire team captains to lead their teams more effectively and help coaches to systematically develop and use them. Now, here's your co-host, Luke Poulos. to the Captain's Coach Podcast. We have another sports philosophy episode for you today. My guest is Adam Flieger. Adam is a professor in the Sports Administration Department at Belmont University, focusing primarily on the philosophy of sport and sport ethics. Our conversation today centers around Adam's opinion on what the purpose of sport really is. I won't give it away here, but it leads us into a longer discussion on respect for one's opponent and the effect your treatment of your opponent has on the rest of your game and approach to sport. The whole conversation really got me thinking about all the secondary and tertiary consequences of how we look at the opponent and what we tell ourselves about our opponents. All of that gets tied back into the larger sports philosophy conversation we were having, so it was fun to bring it all through that lens and along that path. It was an awesome conversation. Adam was a blast to talk to, and we touched on what I think are some really helpful ideas to coaches and athletes alike. So please sit back and enjoy another episode on the Captain's Coach Podcast. Hey, Adam, thanks for coming on the Captain's Coach Podcast. How are you doing tonight? Ah, I'm doing great, Luke. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on and talk to you. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm excited. Um, as the listeners know, this is, you know, number, I think it's five or six or seven in our sport philosophy series. And I've really been enjoying the conversations, um, a really high caliber group of guests we've had, and, and you're just adding to that list. So um, again, thankful for you to be on the show and best place to start with this series is always what is the, the purpose of sport? <laughs> yeah. So uh, sport, sport philosophers, um, first off, thank you for, for bringing some attention to, to the field. It's um our field's been around for quite a, quite a long time now. We think there's a lot of practical um, implications for, for some of the theoretical research and, and discussions that we've been having. Um, and it just recently has been growing a bit more. So it's really wonderful to, to, to hear that you've had some, some excellent guests on and so on. But yeah, so there's kind of a, there's kind of a running joke that uh, if anyone ever asks us what we do and we say sport philosophers, the first question that we always get asked is, well, what's the meaning of sport, right? So it's like, it's yeah. like the, official, the official philosophy question. And um, you're gonna get a lot of different answers that uh, are probably way more nuanced than, than anything I could provide. But for me, the most important aspect, a lot of it boils down to some of the historical importance um, placed with our ancient Olympic games and has continued on from them. Uh, and I know uh, I've, I've heard Heather Reed was on previously, and she's an expert in this area. But with the ancient Olympic Games, uh, it was a coming together to really celebrate, number one, uh, the human ability and athletic ability of human beings and test that, comp that competitive spirit. So for me, kind of the true, the true meaning of sport is a, an athlete being able to showcase 
their athletic ability in a competitive setting, it's, it's a test. It's, it's one side versus another. Um, whether we're talking about uh, you competing, maybe, you know, trying to beat yourself in a time and, and with mountain climbing or running or something, or, you know, more traditional sports, uh, football, basketball, where you're directly head to head and, and trying to stop another opponent. So, um, yeah, a long-winded answer, but I would say uh, it's it's a uh, a physical and, and and psychological test of one athlete uh, versus another. Yeah, no, I uh, I love that I love that definition, and you're right. I have gotten all different answers from everybody so far. Yours is yours is pretty close to David Papinow's, actually. Um, his was very very similar, same exact thing, kind of. Um, you know, basically it's nothing more, nothing less than the, it's the appreciation of the athletic ability. Um, and it yeah. has nothing to do with really even putting the constraints on the sport. Um, because if you're going to say, oh, it's, it's not impressive to put, you know, to run a race without there being laws and it's not impressive to run a race period. So it really was just the essence of, putting on a showcase of athletic ability. So I think it is interesting to now see, now that I've had, you know, a handful of guests so far where some of the overlap is starting to happen. Um, yeah, certainly. And, and, you know, I think, I think even if you go into some of the more detailed responses when we're, when we're looking at all these influence of rules and trying to create gameplay and all of that, uh, a lot of it still boils down to that, that really basic kind of test. Right. And, um, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely start to see that with a lot of those responses. No, yeah, for sure. And that, that's, that's exactly what David was saying as well. You know, with Heather, uh, you know, her, the main crux of her purpose of sport was education. Um, Pam Sailors, her purpose of sport was more geared towards a letting go and kind of an escapism type mentality. But mm -hmm. also she wrapped that back into the the athletic ability and showcase and obviously everyone brings it back to that that competition um and inherently it's that that athletic showcase um what are some things that maybe coaches and athletes take for granted when it comes to sport philosophy or the purpose of sport what are some things that that you see that they might take for granted I would say I would say one of the biggest things for me is uh, downplaying uh, their opponents and their competitors, and uh, what I really mean by that is without, especially when we're talking about these head-to-head -head type of contests, without a competitor, without a worthy opponent right, that uh, needs to be treated uh, in a fair manner to really produce the best athletic results, without that competitor, you don't have you don't have a contest, you don't have a game. And um, for me, and I, I know just listening to, to some of the other the podcasts here, uh, talking about some of the things that is a bit frustrating and that maybe you want to get, get out just to coaches and athletes more, is that a, a true, a true athletic competitor is going to uphold their opponent and treat them with respect throughout the game. That doesn't mean you don't want to beat them, though. Okay, and I, and I, I totally get that. And so I think that's a misconception about sport philosophy is that we're, we're uh, like this kind of pie in the sky. Uh, everyone needs to, you know, run around in a field of roses in order to be this, this great game. And that's not the case. Uh, we are encouraging really highly competitive um, 
matches and in, in games with athletes uh, reaching their peak of athletic ability against one another, but it makes a better game when you have both sides, you know, reaching toward that ultimate goal. So if you think about some of the best games you've watched or best games you've been a part of, I know, I know uh, certainly um, most of the individuals listening have been an athlete at some point in their life. Uh, most of the most memorable type of experiences you have were when you really were tested by an opponent, okay? And you were able to overcome that test. If you're watching a game, you know, we love these really tight games where it's coming down to the, to the way end. And uh, it's just that little bit of uh, psychological or physical advantage that you have over your opponent that's gonna put you over the top. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is, is uh, that it's not really, a pie in the eye or pie in the sky type of theory or mentality to treat your opponent with with respect and want them to do their best. Because if I'm beating someone, I want them to be their best. I don't want to, you know, play a team uh, when their best players hurt, or I don't want to play a team and, and win by a, a fault or something like that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I would focus with that. No, I I 100% agree with that whole perspective. And I, I don't think I've ever thought about it in terms of coaches or, or athletes taking it for granted. Um, yeah, obviously, I, I think it's pretty easy to kind of denounce the idea that that's a, you know, a fluff, a fluff perception of competition. Obviously, you know, as an athlete, like you were saying, you don't want to go through an entire season being undefeated because you're a million times better than everybody right. or because there's some unfair advantage you have in talent or organization or what have you. Right. You want your opponents to be just right at the edge with you. That's the most satisfying wins there are. And if you come at the whole thing from, you know, we'll go back to your purpose of sport is the showcase of athletic ability. So you would want the end result to be the ultimate showcase of athletic ability, the, the peak athletic ability, the peak competition, and how do you get that? What is going to bring that out of you is going to be respecting your opponent more than anything else. They're going to be, you know, something else than yeah. just, you know, oh, these guys stink. We're going to roll over them. You're going to degrade them, you know, and treating them with respect on and off the field, like you said. Um, you know, my coach at, at West Point used to always say, we have nameless and faceless opponents. Um, so I wonder how that would fit in with kind of your, your narrative and your thinking. Yeah. here. Cause it, it definitely wasn't a, in it, from his perspective, it definitely wasn't a nameless and faceless as in there are nobody, but it was more of a way of getting us to focus on ourselves rather than focusing on our opponent. Yeah. And that yeah. went for, you know, when we were playing the Syracuse's and the Notre Dame, you know, the, 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 the blue chip top five schools, as well as when we were playing, you know, the bottom of our conference. Yeah, and, and so it, the, the comment, so at, at first without providing any context, to be honest, the content, the, the, the comment irks me a little bit. And, and let me tell you why. So with the context though, it makes sense. So if you're trying to focus on yourself to be the best and, and to produce the best athletic performance that day, I think that is an absolutely fantastic way to think about going into, going into a game, okay? But on the other side of that, it could be taken in a way that creates this win at all cost mentality. And um, 
in sport, when I'm watching sport, uh, this is the this is the one thing that puts me off from coaches and, and athletes more than anything. When I see them take this win at all costs mentality, and what I mean by that is doing anything within their power, whether it's to to bend a rule, to gain an un, unfair advantage, uh, intentionally injuring things like that. And it doesn't seem like your coach was was trying to push that. It definitely seems like he was trying to focus on. Uh, you performing your best and not worrying about the opponent saying, hey, if you do your best out there, we know that that will be good enough. Um, but there definitely is, is, a, is a line there you have, to, you have to walk and be careful with because if you remove the humanity from an opponent, um, you don't want to think about that opponent as simply as, as an obstacle to overcome, right? Um, probably, you know, one of the most famous, uh, I don't want to say famous, but uh, some of the most seminal works in our field um, by some of the big, uh, big time sport, sport philosophers. So Bob Simon, um, Warren Fraley, and, and so on, um, talk about this idea of the competitor and of trying to avoid this win at all cost attitude. Um, most specifically, uh, and it's, it's a kind of a brand of, of sport philosophy that I subscribe to very wholeheartedly. Uh, Bob Simon describes competitions as a mutual quest for excellence. And um, if you remove uh, the humanity from the opponent, if you try to put in this win at all cost attitude, you cannot then for Simon achieve your athletic excellence in that game. So the mutual quest for excellence is again, wanting that opponent to do their absolute best. You want them to play the best game, the best match that they've played in their life. You don't want any type of advantage that wasn't, that wasn't earned through, you know, your hard work, things like that. Uh, but you also still want to beat them. And that's what creates these, these best athletic contests. So um, yeah, my, my, my uh, kind of a, almost a big pet peeve of mine is when I see coaches uh, really downgrade opponents um, and though you know you use terminology some of the terminology that that i hear that that plays this out is you know a win's a win um you know any any type of war metaphors associated with sport tend to invoke this this uh um, kind of win at all costs attitude as well and so it's it's definitely a thin line with focusing on yourself but also not dehumanizing uh, your opponents yeah, no, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I gave you the context there right after because yeah. definitely, definitely Coach Albarisi, he's not coming from, from that angle. It was it, just a, a huge part of our culture was doing the right thing all the time on and yeah. off the field. Um, and it definitely was to drive that out of us. But I, I, I'm glad it sparked this, you know, this extra piece of the conversation. I think that was a, a big piece of my conversation with Matt Dixon was the win at all costs and only focusing on the scoreboard where mm -hmm. again if if that is what turns into your ultimate purpose of sport is to win you're losing out on all the other benefits of sport what it actually is really supposed to mean the spirit of the game the educational piece and you're really like you said not only are you degrading and dehumanizing your opponent and not getting the best out of yourself when you damage your opponent or you damage the sport or the game, you're really damaging yourself. Cause like you said, if you're not treating them and expecting the best from them, or you're, you're creating a situation where you can't get the best out of your opponent, you're not going to get the best out of yourself and your team. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And yeah, the, the, uh, the, a win's a win is definitely something that did not fly in our locker room. Yeah. And, um, 
I know a lot of the athletes I've talked to, it's definitely the, the same mentality. You know, if we had a sloppy win that we, you know, basically the other team clutched the hands of, of, um, of losing out of yeah. winning, um, we were hearing about it. And, and the, the, uh, the air in the locker room the next day was, was that of a loss pretty much. And, and practice intensity was, was up another notch for sure because we knew and the coaching staff knew that it wasn't our best. Um, and that's actually what we're out on the field to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and there, there are even some losses where we, we left it all out there and, you know, we came off the field, you know, a little down obviously, cause, cause you lose. And especially at the, the college, the college level, it mm-hmm. wins inherently take on a little more value, but, you know, getting back to the locker room, we all kind of had the same feeling of, you know what, like, you know, today wasn't our day. We, we put it all out there. Coaching staff always said, you know, you can walk out of here with your heads up um just like every day but especially today and you know it just didn't didn't go our way today so i think think that's a a great way to kind of put that all into perspective yeah and and that's really well said and and what i what i think is kind of interesting so compared to some of the other guests you've had i have a little bit more of a a management administration type of bent to uh, my research expertise and so on um and this, I, what I get, I get it. The structural systems that are in place, right? Reward a win for a win. Mm-hmm. And, and so as a competitor, it's tough to, to kind of move past that. And this is where the coaching staff and the leaders of that organization play such a big role uh, because it's really easy to think about, well, all right, when to move on, when to move on, when to move on. And because that's the way structurally that sport has been set up. So um, I'm a big college football fan and uh you know, so I, I did my PhD at LSU, go Tigers. And, uh, but um, college football to me is the way that it's set up perpetuates this to, to the nth degree. And, uh, you know, you, you play out your, your conference schedule, basically hoping not to lose at all uh, because there's, you know, only whatever, 11, 11 to 14 games, give or take uh, a loss can, can, end your season for some of these teams. And what happens then, because your conference schedules are tough, you end up adding in some, for lack of a better term, a fluffball opponents, right? So we got, you know, Florida State beating up uh, by 82 points or something on, on Savannah, uh, Savannah State. And uh, because of the way that, that the structural systems are in place, that win counts, they move forward. There's no use for them at that point uh, to to add another fantastic out-of-conference opponent. Um, and, you know, some of the new rating systems and, and ranking systems try to give more credit to, to strength of schedule and so on. Um, but because of the conference strength of schedule with some of these Power Five conferences, uh, you, really, you really don't need it. You just have to win the games. And going back, this all kind of circles back to this idea. I mean, think about a game that's a, a 70 or 80 point game for these, for these college athletes neither team gets anything out of it. Right. I mean, no one wants to be embarrassed like that, but also at the same time, your starters on the other side are playing, you know, against teams with talents that probably aren't as good as some of the practice squads that they're playing. Right. You go through the, you end up going through the motions. This is when injuries can increase. Injuries happen, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it just is a, it's a lose-lose for both of these teams, other than the fact that, uh, you know, Savannah State uh, leaves with a $500,000 pay- paycheck from, right. from but, um, you know, and, and I don't blame those teams, honestly, for 
doing that because of the structural systems that are in place. But it is a bit disheartening trying to watch that because it's really, it's not competition. You know, it's not, it's not a true competition. There's no testing of skill really between them. The, the outcome was never really in doubt. Um, and sure, we have, you know, these huge big time upsets like Appalachian State and so on, but they're, they're few and far between. And, uh, you know, they're, they, those, are, those are instances in that generally uh, the better team just doesn't, doesn't play well. And the, uh, the other team plays game, a game of their life and, and that can happen. But uh, in the general scheme of it, when those games get, get put into place, if you're playing a far inferior opponent, you're really not getting anything out of it. Right, exactly. No, I couldn't agree more. And, and from that management kind of administrative level, what are some some things that you would offer to coaches or other administrators, not even at maybe the college level, but even at the high school level, or, you know, kind of the college level that you have a little more leeway and the structure is not as built in to make sure that your organization and your your individual team programs are able to focus on the other aspects of success and not getting stuck in the win at all costs and only rewarding your win and loss column. What kind of mechanisms or conversations do you advise having and putting in place to kind of mitigate that, that end result? Yeah. So from a, from a more of a theoretical perspective, I actually think, uh, kind of the philosophy that your, your coach had put in, um, like I said, I think the, the exact wording of it uh, led me a little bit different, uh, different direction earlier, but that philosophy of focusing on self um, and essentially rewarding, rewarding yourself, treating yourself with respect and treating the sport with respect. So every time that you go out on that field and, and sometimes even within conferences, you're gonna play and be required to play opponents that are unevenly matched. But if you can go out and respect the sport, um, respect the ideal of competition and respect yourself, I think that focus can go a long way, right? And um, so from a theoretical perspective, I think that is, is something to focus on. Uh, the, other, the other thing that I, that I start to question a little bit is um, from a logistical standpoint, uh, I often think sometimes it's better to, to not play that opponent uh, if that's your only option as a game. And um, I'm, I'm certain, absolutely certain some coaches would disagree with me there because they, you, you think it's more of a tune-up. You need to, you know, get some of the kinks out before and so on. Um, but it just doesn't seem to have the true heart of competition in it. And so uh, I, would, I would think twice about scheduling opponents that you know are not a worthy, uh, a worthy match to your team. And that goes both ways. So, you know, everyone always wants to play up to the next competition and you should play teams that are better than you, but it shouldn't be a complete mismatch of, of physical and psychological skill. And so uh, I would think long and hard about how you schedule teams, um, but also from, from that theoretical perspective and that philosophy, that coaching philosophy standpoint, uh, focus on respect to the self and respect to, to the sport. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's definitely a, a challenge for coaches out there, I'd say, to, to not schedule those games. And obviously, there's a lot of administrative things that go into that, you know, yeah. regulation conference. But, you know, definitely, there is some leeway, uh, you know, you can just go down, at, definitely for college football, but even 
you know, the lacrosse world and the basketball world, there's definitely some games where you're kind of like, why are we playing this team? Or why is that team playing that team? It's just a waste of everybody's time, especially when you see it, you know, two, three, four games into the season on the schedule. It kind of is just, you know, there's no real reason for it because you're not getting the best out of yourself. At that point, you're better off having an inter-squad scrimmage um, if you're really trying to say it's a tune-up or it's a, um, you know, it's a way to get our minds right before our next big game. Um, And, you know, if the season's spaced out the way it should, which also comes back to kind of administrative and, and big organization, if if the schedule is is spread out the way it's supposed to be, playing back-to-back really tough opponents shouldn't be an issue. Um, right. That's more of just a, a mentality that you kind of have to get out of your player's mind. Um, no, but I, I, I love that that, con- that conceptual framework there of how to avoid that win-at-all-cost mentality. Yeah. Um, outside of that, what other pitfalls do you see coaches or players or organizations or even sport like a sport in the big big s sport realm what kind of pitfalls do you see that that really kind of raise your eyebrows and you get itchy when you start talking about them yeah so there's there's two two of them uh, one is kind of more from a coaching standpoint and the other uh, is for more from uh, a big organizational league league standpoint um, from a coaching standpoint uh and, and, and to, to a lot of coaches' credit, this is changing. From, from an observational perspective, it is changing. Um, but the, the idea of a, of a coach not entertaining any outside type of ideas, influences, and being stuck so much in a way where it's you know, the my way or the highway type of mentality, I think closes off uh, the opportunity for uh, for both physical, psychological, social advancement for athletes. Um, I think it even holds, holds true more so maybe at the high school and younger levels, um, but even at the, at the college levels. And you hear terms thrown around all the time, like a, a player's coach and, and things like that. Um, and, and they've, you know, different styles of coaching has have different levels of, of success. And there have been highly successful coaches that have a lot of different leadership styles, but the ones who, who are able to maintain longevity are open to others' ideas. They're open to change. The game changes, athletes changes, athletes get bigger, faster, stronger, technology changes. And, and being stuck in a way and, and only trying to focus on, on one way of doing practice, on one way of, of game planning, all, all of these things, I think does not do uh, the advancement of the sport and advancement of, of athletes justice. And so as far as a coaching standpoint, uh, a willingness to learn and constantly adapt, I think is absolutely critical. And um, I think that you're seeing that much more so uh, with newer, with, with some of the, the coaching that we're seeing now compared to that old school mentality of, you know, I'm never bending or breaking. And, uh, and, it, and it's seen success, right? You have to be willing to listen to the athletes. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons that uh, the NFL for a while kind of came under fire where, you know, there's injuries taking place with specifically with head, head injuries. Mm-hmm. And CT, you know, they're not listening to athletes. There's not a willingness to change. And, uh, but I, I do think overall that is changing. And, um, and you're seeing these coaches with just long, you know, his, his uh, historical kind of careers with, of success 
uh, constantly redeveloping themselves and, and understanding that the game changes and they need to change too. No, I love that as well, Adam. And I think it's great. And it's very in line with kind of what we are about at the captain's coach in general, kind of that, that growth mindset. And, you know, that was something one of the previous guests talked about and kind of the, the purpose of sport and how you measure success if you're not measuring it through wins and losses, right. a big part of success is growth. And as yeah. a, and that goes, you know, as a team, as a group, but also as a coach individually for yourself and for your players, if you're stuck in one way in one mentality and you're doing the same thing every year, you're not growing. And there's a great quote, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. And if that's, if that's what you're doing, every single year, you're, you're not only doing yourself a disservice kind of as, as a coach, but obviously what that ultimately comes down to is a disservice to your athletes year in and year out. And being adaptable, like you said, being able to grow, being able to change, being able to listen to your players, you know, that's conversations we have all the time on, on kind of the normal series on the podcast is how can coaches better utilize their captains and their player leadership? How can they use them not only as a voice to communicate their vision as a coach, but also to be a mouthpiece for the team, to yeah. be that, that insight and in how the team's doing, what's the team thinking, you know, where, where do we want to push the culture? You know, what is the culture of the team this year, especially at the college level, it changes so much because you're getting 25% of your teams changing every year. So yeah. I think that's, that's so important. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I'm glad that you're seeing it change on a, on a large scale, a, a big movement and a push towards that kind of coaching philosophy, but definitely something to think about. And even if you're in general, a, a open and flexible and adaptable coach, there might still be, you know, those one or two areas that you, you know, you live by, that's, that's your rock you're going to die on, but you know, you should be open to anything to change because you're, you can never be a hundred percent sure that it works. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and this kind of, kind of goes hand in hand uh, a little bit. And, and my, my kind of last point, I think sums up a lot of what I've mentioned today and we've kind of talked about, and that is that we need to think in a much wider and broader perspective about what success in sport looks like. Okay. And that helps to start remove that win at all cost mentality. It helps to start increase the respect for the sport, for yourself, for the opponent. Um, and I think I think that kind of is is an all encompassing idea. And and what I mean by that is, uh, can we consider improvement? You know, a success in sport rather than just wins and losses. Can we can we consider uh, playing your best game but falling short to a superior opponent? Uh, a success in sport. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a long distance runner and I know Pam Sailors, I'm sure she, uh, <laughs> a lot of her, her philosophy um, and her take on sport philosophy comes from her being a long distance runner. Um, and to me, it's one of the, the most telling sports to look at and kind of describe what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get out. And that is if you go to any marathon in the world, okay, the people that enter that, 99.9% .9 realize that they can't finish first. Right. Right? You can't finish first. But that doesn't mean they're not competitive. That doesn't mean they're not participating in this sport. 
And I also don't think that doesn't mean they can claim success. And so absolutely winning, winning and losing can, can define success and failure, but it's not always the case. And I think a, a lot of what I've mentioned today kind of can be boiled up into that, that sentiment. No, no, no. I completely, completely, completely agree, Adam. And it, and it goes back to something I brought up at a previous guest, and it's kind of this dichotomy of, you know, not even a dichotomy, but multiple avenues or realms of, you know, success, individual success, then you have team success, and then you have team relative to your opponent success. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's how do you measure all of those things? And, you know, are you only comparing success to yourself? And when you get to that opponent comparison, you know, is the, is the team, let's say your team went, you know, four and 10 last year, and this year you go seven and, you know, whatever that I just said, seven and whatever. And, but there's an opponent out there that went 12 and 0 last year, and now they went 10 and two. Well, who had the most, who had a more successful second season? I don't know. If you, if you're going it straight off absolute wins and losses, your opponent still had a more successful season, but if we go off of a more nuanced definition of success, you know, you could arguably say your team had a more successful season because you grew at least in the win and losses column. Yeah. And, and I think, I think even though this is more of a theoretical conversation and, and along with this kind of series of, of talking with sport philosophers, a lot of that is, but it connects so directly, I think, to your kind of coaching leadership and, and that practical information. If you can wrap your head around it, and it is really difficult. So growing up uh, playing multiple sports, uh, you know, played in college and everything, just trying to get me to think about success more than that wins and losses is a difficult process for a lot of people. Um, but I think once you can wrap your head around that and think about how we define success for ourselves, for our team, for our organization, uh, and so on, it can help in so many other areas, okay? Uh, and and um, it, it, for me, it, it honestly probably didn't start clicking until I, I was mostly done with my most competitive levels of sport. And yeah, that's the sad um, thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm hoping now is we're starting to see more and more coaches wanting to learn. They want to learn about their leadership styles. They want to learn about education. They want to learn about how to craft this philosophy and, and better, you know, student athletes and, and their youth athletes and so on. And what I'm really hopeful about with that is that that starts to trickle down that mentality and that, that you know, respect for the game and, and kind of the wonder of being able to, to participate in this athletic ability trickles down to younger and younger levels so that they realize in the moment, wow, like this is amazing. Like, look what my body is doing. This is incredible. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so coming to that realization after I was done with, with really competitive sports uh, is an interesting, interesting uh, process. Yeah, it is. It's just such a shame. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's a, it's a, just the maturity level, just like, you know, a lot of things in life you don't realize until way after looking back. Um, or if it's something that we could actually change if we just change the conversation. And, and I think that the hardest thing and why wins and losses and the kind of those, those, those measurables end up being what we always come back to is it's for that reason, because they, they're measurable, they're tangible, they're visible, they're real, they're something you can point to. Whereas yeah 
you know, the stuff that may be more important in reality is less visible. It's intangible. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't point to it and say, you know, I was successful based on, you know, basically my subjective opinion about what went on. And if right. you're the person who was there and witnessing it, you don't have anything to go on other than the win and loss column, other than the statistics. Exactly. And, and, for, and I think that's part of the leadership part too, and why we've always undervalued the importance of leadership because it's not, it's not something we can see on a team from the outside. You know, Sam Walker was a guest of mine, you know, a, a, almost probably a year ago now, but he authored a book called The Captain Class. And basically the end result was, you know, it started out just trying to be a, an, an article about what made the, the Boston Red Sox such a great team that they could win the World Series. It turned into a whole book about what makes dynasties dynasties. Right. And the only common factor across the 18 greatest dynasties across all sports in the last hundred years was one transformation, not one transformational captain, but having a transformational captain on the team, whether that was one individual or a group of three individuals that kind of went back to back to back. Um, yeah. That was the only thing all these teams. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, funny you mentioned that. So in, in uh, my sport, a leadership class that I teach um, at the university. That is uh, one of the first required reading that we go through. Oh, that's so, yeah, Sam, Sam wrote a really, really interesting uh, piece um, that you could tell uh, the more and more he got involved in that, it was just a deep dive for him. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading that was in the um, kind of the intro to the book, I believe yeah. kind of his, his uh, you know, almost him authoring his dive into lunacy over obsessing over all these little minutia of how to measure it and how to make sure he was doing it the right way. And it was, you know, had a whole team at the end of it doing all these research. So it yeah. was pretty cool to have him on. Um, and also the book itself is just great. I can't, I can't recommend that book enough for people in the sports leadership world. Yeah, I would, I would second that recommendation for sure. And, and just kind of circling back quick to one of your mention on, on stats and measurables. And, and that's absolutely true. I mean, sport the way that it's set up, it's reported in our 24 hour news cycle. I mean, flip if you, your sports fans are flipping through Twitter, Instagram, whatever, it's all stats and, and yep. highlights, right? And that's how we consume, consume our news. Uh, but it definitely does push a little bit more of that narrative. Um, so if you think about a, a couple of examples, I mean, uh, if, if a baseball player goes 0 for 4, it's pretty easy to list 0 for 4, right? Uh, but you also have no idea looking at stat lines and how that's described or what, what actually happened. You know, maybe it was four power, power drives that almost eclipsed the, uh, the outfield wall versus someone who went three for four who had three seeing, seeing eye singles, you know? Right. And so uh, success, depending on how we want to describe it, yeah, they got a base that's very successful. So that could be a success, but you also could look at, at, at the person who went over four and uh, be impressed with the amount of contact uh, another one that I always think about with this is the, uh, the NCAA basketball tournament, right? So everyone loves it. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it is a spectacle. It's an absolute spectacle, right? right? From a, from more of a management administrative side, the way that they've designed it and marketed it and so on, it's basically a national holiday at this point. Yep. And that being said, it doesn't produce a true champion. And, yeah. and 
because of the way that it's set up, uh, you know, you have teams that maybe put together these really impressive seasons, 27-0 or whatever they are going in, and they just run in and have a bad game. And uh, on the line, it's a loss. You know, they don't finish in the top 10, whatever. They don't win the national championship, but they very well could have been the absolute best team that year. And so um, stats are great. They're easy to follow. One of the things that's, that I think sport fans love about stats is we can start to compare over eras, right? So, you know, who's, who's better, LeBron or, or MJ? Who's, you know, was Babe Ruth a better home run hitter than uh, Barry Bonds? And, and, you know, these sort of things we can compare over time. Uh, but you just have to be really careful with them as well. And I think really true sport fans, uh, those who, who love the game and respect the game, uh, understand that and, and try to look at it a little more nuanced. Like, okay, what happened during this game? Yeah, there's definitely the, this story behind the statistics. Um, and again, like you said, there's, there's so many factors that kind of push the narrative and push the mindset towards the tangible and the measurables and it all comes back to winning losses but the more that as a coach or an administration you can have that conversation and that's why the, the the conceptual is so important and i'm so glad we're doing this series is in order to have the act the actionable the pragmatic the practical solutions that you put in place they have to be backed up by some sort of principled reasoning some sort of conceptual theory that you believe um, that that is inculcated into your culture, because if you don't have that, you can put anything you want in place. But if there's nothing, nothing behind it, backing it up, that's always going to fall flat on its face. A hundred percent. And also it, it, it prevents, I don't want to say it prevents mistakes. It prevents you from trying to pull from the hip every single time. Right. You right. can always consistently look back on, on your personal sport philosophy, your coaching philosophy, your leadership philosophy, then you know, even if that ends up being the wrong decision at that point in time, that, that you have pulled from an area of, of knowledge, you've pulled, you, you've educated in yourself on that, and you're not just making it up as you go. And I think that's, that's really critical. I love it. I love it. I think that's uh, the, the perfect place to, to end here, Adam. I, I've taken up a, a good enough chunk of your evening. I know you got a toddler running around, so... <laughs> Um, I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. Absolute, absolute pleasure. And another, another sport philosophy episode that I'm just, um, you know, just walking out of here with a smile on my face because it was, you know, enjoyable, learned a lot, made me think. So thank Perfect. you. Perfect. Well, yeah. And, and again, I, I really appreciate uh, the podcast and you for, for bringing the light to, to this side in our field and um, hope you, uh, hope your listeners continue to enjoy this, this series, but thanks a lot, Luke. It was, it was really wonderful talking to you. Of course. Thanks again, Adam. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Luke Bullock. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.